millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the last 24 hours, four children have died of hunger in Gaza. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, war, famine, pestilence, and disease are galloping all over Gaza. I myself watched a child die in real time while she was vomiting animal feed. And Liz Truss, remember her? She goes gaga in the United States of America, predicting that a radical Islamist jihadist party is going to win the Rochdale by-election. She's completely wrong about that. That's going to be me that is going to win the Rochdale by-election. And two years on, as the NATO proxy war against Russia stumbles to humiliating defeat, we'll be asking the great Scott Ritter, what happens next? What happens now? All coming up on the mother of all talk shows. Fasten your seatbelts. Going to be a bumpy night. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. No, really, I watched in real time last night a child die. She died of malnutrition. She died of hunger. Indeed, in the last 24 hours, four such children have died in Gaza of famine. And yet, just across a thin razor wire, thousands upon thousands of aid trucks are locked out of the Gaza Strip. The United Nations aid trucks, the UNRWA aid trucks, the Save the Children, Oxfam, all the names you know, all their aid trucks are lined up for hundreds of kilometers waiting for Israeli permission to enter the Gaza Strip. Why they need Israeli permission is, of course, difficult to fathom. The trucks are on Egyptian land. The gate straddles the Egyptian and Gaza frontier. Gaza is officially occupied territory, although Israel sometimes likes to pretend that it lifted the occupation on Gaza some considerable time ago. Although that was a lie, it does further complicate the question of why these trucks are outside of Gaza when children are beginning to fall dead with famine, with hunger, with pestilence. The girl I watched die last night was a young girl, I don't know what age, maybe eight, maybe nine, about the age of some of my own children. She died whilst vomiting animal feedstuffs. That's right, patties made of animal food, the food you feed to donkeys, to goats, to cows. And her little system was unable to bear it any longer. I watched her vomit 
and then I watched her die in the year of our Lord, 2024, when outside that reservoir was enough food to feed everybody, every child, every woman, every man in Gaza. This famine and the disease that is now rampant within the Gaza Strip is going to ultimately prove an even bigger killer than the murderous onslaught of the so-called Israel Defense Force in the territory. Mind you, they have already killed and maimed more than 110,000 people. 110,000 people in four months. As a rate of attrition, it's difficult to be in any conflict. As a rate of attrition of women and children, it is literally impossible to beat. This four months of onslaught has killed more women and children as a proportion of the total dead than any conflict in the entire history of the human race. And some of you are still supporting it. Some of you are still facilitating it. Some of you are still funding it, arming it, defending it in the United Nations and other international fora. Not some of you, of course, because this audience knows better. But your leaders in Western countries are the ones co-responsible for this slaughter. 112,000 people are either dead or maimed, wounded, with no hospitals to take care of them, or are still lying dead under the rubble. Imagine, if you will, seeing the shoes, the feet of your own child sticking out from under the rubble, watching the animals, cats and dogs, eating at her body, unable to do anything, even to retrieve your dead child for a decent burial. Imagine that because that's what is the reality. That's what is happening to parents, to children in Gaza right now. The parents can't lift the rubble. You'd need earth-moving machinery to do that. And in any case, any attempt to do so would almost certainly lead to the death by sniper fire from the parents trying to retrieve their dead children. It's difficult to talk about all of this without your eyes moistening, without emotion overcoming you. And I'm struggling right now. I'm seeing pictures on the screen that you are of biblical scenes of people rushing to receive the tiny proportion of aid which has reached inside, who are almost every time fired upon by Israeli snipers. All kinds of depravities are beginning to be uh, TikToked and appear on YouTube. You know the wife of the Nazi commandant of Auschwitz used to go into the warehouse and pick from amongst the belongings of the murdered Jews at Auschwitz the shoes, the clothes that she fancied for herself. I saw a video today, you maybe saw it too, of an Israeli soldier gifting over the airwaves his wife a pair of shoes that he'd looted from the house of a woman he had murdered. He or his fellows had murdered her. 
and gone through her wardrobe and took out her shoes and filmed themselves, pledging those shoes to their own wives. Just what every woman dreams of, a pair of shoes looted from a murder victim. It is impossible to comprehend how these people are unable to see how others see them. As Robert Burns, the Scottish bard, said, the greatest gift that God would give us to see ourselves as others see us. I wonder if Israelis know how the rest of the world now sees them. And I wonder if they care a damn. Well, I don't care if they don't care a damn. All I care about is our own national dignity of not being a part of this, of doing anything, everything that we can to bring relief to the people who are a part of this. I don't want my government vetoing or abstaining from resolutions in the United Nations condemning this barbarism, this savagery, this genocide. I don't want judges from the United Kingdom protecting uh, the criminals in the international fora of justice. I don't want my television that I pay for, the BBC, endlessly proselytizing propaganda for Netanyahu and these barbaric killers, murderers. I don't want the newspapers that I have walked past in the newsagent screaming from their front pages, lie after lie after lie, to give succor and comfort to these barbaric killers, who seem to have a fetish, by the way, of going through the underwear drawers of Gazan women that they have murdered, whose houses they have largely demolished. These fiends have fiends who are calling themselves friends of Israel. And it's to that that I now turn. I just watched a video of a Labour shadow minister in Britain, Rachel Reeves, in which she called upon the police to act to the extent of their powers against anyone in Britain expressing anti-Israel sentiments. That's a new one on me. And she'll have to arrest me also. She might have to bring the police onto the parliamentary estate to arrest me because I know that there are millions of people in this country. How could it be otherwise when we're watching all this on our telephones every hour, every minute of every hour? How could we not have anti-Israel feelings? They've moved from the conflation of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism to proscribe and make illegal anti-Israelism. So I can be anti-Saudi Arabia. I can be anti-America. I can be anti-any country on the earth except Israel. Well, Ms. Reeves, I don't know if your party is going to make it into government, but if you make it into government and attempt to make that the law in Britain, you will be making millions of new criminals and the number of those millions is growing every day. 
So you better start a massive prison building program alongside any other plans that you might have because you're going to have to put on trial a very large number of people. Now, the situation in Gaza is such that we have this evening brought back Dr. Yasser Khan, whose interview with me last week caused such a sensation, had such massive views, and caused so many people to shed a tear or two or three or four. Dr. Khan is joined this evening by Dr. Mugrabi, who is a cosmetic surgeon of great note, who was in the Nasser hospital until the barbarians stormed it and destroyed it, and is now in Rafa. If he survives, if any Palestinian survives, the coming Ramadan onslaught of the barbarians, he's going to have a lot of work to do because of the disfiguring nature of the indiscriminate use of phosphorus bombs, illegal, illegal to use against civilians in urban areas, but which are raining down day after day and burning the faces, burning the skin from the inside of the Palestinian victims of it. The lacerating effect of tank shells and ship-fired missiles, the devastating impact of bombs, 2,000-pound bombs being dropped on Gaza. Many of you saw Oppenheimer. I did twice. I marveled that the extraordinary destructive power of the atomic weapon that was dropped on Hiroshima and then a couple of days later on Nagasaki. Israel has dropped five, five Hiroshima atom bombs on the Gaza Strip, 25 miles long at its narrowest, five miles wide, in which inside a cage, 2.3 million people most of them women and children, are trapped. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Five atom bombs. Just think about that. On the subject of atom bombs, we came close, I think, to war between NATO and Russia over the last two years during this special military operation launched by Russia exactly two years ago. I doubt if the United States is able or willing in an election year to actually go to all-out war, inevitably escalating to a nuclear exchange, at least of battlefield nuclear weapons. But if one side began to look like it was prevailing, inevitably bringing in intermediate-range nuclear weapons, ultimately, perhaps, an all-out exchange of intercontinental ballistic missiles and the end of the world. I doubt that Joe Biden's generals would allow him to press that button, not least because he might have thought he was pressing the button for the nurse to take him to the lavatory. I doubt that, but it is not entirely impossible. We'll be talking to the great Scott Ritter this evening about the two-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. 
But it's possible to say now that NATO has lost the war. Not that they've given up their determination to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood, not their own blood except their mercenaries, but they are ready to fund and to arm the Ukrainians to fight on. But more and more Ukrainians, including in the upper reaches of the army and of the political class, realize the scale of the gargantuan, ghastly misjudgment that little Zelensky, the clown, the dancer, the cross-dressing fool that they elected as president just a few years ago on a platform of bringing peace between Ukraine and Russia. Zelensky has badly miscalculated the fidelity of his friends to his cause. As the president of Afghanistan, as was, could have told him, when the moment comes that the West is withdrawing, it's support for you, you are left high and dry and lucky if you can get a few sacks full of banknotes out of the country as the Diem brothers, as the Shah of Persia, and many others learned, when you're dispensable to the United States, it can prove fatal. So as we survey the wreckage, as we survey the cemeteries of all the people who've died as a result of this conflict, which has lasted since 2014, not two years, but... Uh, 10 years, it is extraordinary to imagine the level of propaganda to which we were treated. And interestingly, useful and interesting to compare the propaganda over Ukraine with the propaganda over Israel's invasion of Gaza. The Ukrainians had every channel open to them. You weren't just permitted to advertise your support for the colors in Ukraine, you were practically mandated to do so. Your public buildings were turned into a celebration of Ukrainian colors. Whereas when the Palestinian territory of Gaza was invaded, well, you got sent home from school for wearing a badge like this. You lost your job if you wore a badge like this. You lost your job if you argued in the workplace in favor of Palestine and Palestinian rights. But the Ukraine now lies in ruins. Its territory massively less than it was two years ago. It's a truism, a given, that Russia is now winning the war at such a scale and pace that it is legitimate to wonder whether or not a Ukrainian state at all with any boundaries will be left at the end of this conflict. Many of you were confused why I kept talking over the last two years about a tiny strip of land in Moldova called Transnistria. Many of you wondered where is this Transnistria and why am I talking about it? Well, as you'll quickly find, Russia almost certainly will take the entire coastal strip, including Transnistria, 
and link them to the Russian Federation somehow, somewhere. And that will include the Russian jewel of Odessa. I have been to Odessa many times. It is a truly wondrous, fascinating city. It was called the cafe culture. It was the first cafe culture before and ahead of Paris. It had 125,000 Jewish citizens when the Hitlerites and their Romanian allies conquered the city in the barbarous Operation Barbarossa. By the time the Red Army liberated Odessa in 1944, fewer than 5,000 Jews remained. The cafe culture had been wiped out. The cafe culture in which Jewish intellectuals, religious and secular, would forever argue over how many angels could dance on the end of a pin. In my time in Odessa, I used to try to imagine what that cafe culture must have been like. There can be no city in the entire former Soviet Union more Russian than Odessa. And I told you for the last two years that this war will not end until Odessa is a Russian city once again. And so it will be. And so the Ukrainian state that we are to be left with, almost certain, will be an entirely landlocked state. And the Polish and Hungarian and other revanchists may very well seek to recover the territory they consider Ukraine to have stolen from them. It's a sorry tale. It's one that need never have happened, should never have happened, and might have been averted, but for one Boris Johnson, erstwhile Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Should Ukraine sue for peace? Now is the big question on our poll. Please have your say on that poll right now. Coming up after a short break are two doctors that it is impossible to admire more, to praise more, to thank more for what they have done to try to rescue humanity in the benighted Gaza Strip. Stay tuned. It's the mother of all talk shows. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Dr. Yasser Khan was very recently a guest on the mother of all talk shows. His interview was simply unforgettable. That's why we brought him back. But along with a new guest, 
whose work is equally unforgettable. So Dr. Yasser Khan joins us alongside Dr. Ahmed Mugrabi, surgeons working in Gaza. I'm live from Rochdale. They're live from Gaza. Doctors, thank you for uh, joining us and thank you, Dr. Khan, for arranging it uh, with your permission. I'll go first, though, to Dr. Mugrabi and ask him uh, what happened to him. Once upon a time, he was calmly enough doing cosmetic surgery in Nasser Hospital. Now he's in Rafa with more than a million other people. I don't know, I hope he isn't living in a tent or living on the ground in the open, but maybe we can ask him to tell us where he is and what his situation is first. Dr. Ahmed Mugrabi, uh, a very big welcome to you. I know that our audience will be uh, delighted to hear from you. Please describe your situation. Yes. Thank you very much, actually. Uh, really, I'm very, very happy to meet all of you here. You know, I came, I came here at Al Jazeera station to get a good internet signal, as in Rafah, we don't have internet signal. Really, we do have, like, internet signal. I don't have even headphones, you know. Behind me, behind me, there is a big generator, a big generator for Al Jazeera. Yeah, since one week, actually, I came out from uh, Nasser Hospital. Not I came out, but they forced us to get out from the hospital, to get out from the hospital. And all of you, all of you know that invading hospitals itself, it is a genocide. It is a genocide. I'm not speaking about killing anybody, destroying the hospital, but invading the hospital, it is a genocide. Last night, I remember, last Thursday, at mid of night, they forced us to leave the hospital, leaving the patients on the bed. You know, many patients actually passed away on their beds. If we speak about even execution of the patients at their beds, for some, for some they, they executed some patients on their beds. Can you believe that? They arrested around 100 of medical staff from Nasser Hospital. What is going on here, it is a, a real horror. I haven't heard during the history such crimes. Really, I haven't, I haven't read or I haven't, I haven't seen such crimes what is going on here in Gaza. People now, they are not dying from bombing. They are, they are dying from hunger at Gaza and north of Gaza. I just received a call from Gaza, from some of my relatives, actually. They don't eat anything. Nothing there to eat. I don't know if the media actually report this, these crimes. People, they have nothing in Gaza, North Gaza, to eat. I'm not speaking about bombing now. Can you believe that? Yeah, this is what, what is going on. Yeah, I received a call like 30 minutes back from some of my relatives. They don't have anything to eat. And who would to evacuate Gaza? They would execute him on the road, even. Today, they killed 20 people, actually, at the sea road between Gaza and south of Gaza. They were trying to evacuate from Gaza because of hunger 
and they killed them, 20 people. It is horror. It is horrible what is going here. And if you want to know what was what was ha what was happening at Masr Hospital last night, I, I'm telling you, actually, they asked us, you know, they are using their quadcopters. Do you follow me? Actually, do you hear me, by the way? Very Can well and very powerfully. Please continue. Yes. Yeah. At one at at one or at one thirty midnight Thursday, they sent lots of these quadcopters and they asked us, ordered us to leave the hospital now, immediately. Everybody should leave the hospital. After these orders, we heard a very big explosions. They shelled the third floor at the surgical building. They attacked the hospital. And there were there were killed people, I think three, and there was uh, injured people. I was at the third floor because my department located at the third floor, whereas my family also evacuated my wife, my children, my mother. There was a smoke all over around. It was like a chaos, people around there and there. I actually, I took some videos, okay, for dead bodies, blood all over around. It's like judgment day, you know, screaming everywhere. My children screaming, my wife fainted. I managed to change my scrub because I used, all, I used to wear only surgical scrub. And I knew that they actually, they targeted the medical staff and they arrest the medical staff. That's why I changed my clothes. And I wear like, you know, casual, casual clothes. I took my family, my children, my mother, my wife, everybody, some of patients actually. And we ran away from the hospital with the, some of medical staff. There was a chic point for the IDF. Just, just, just actually just about 50 meters from the main gate of the hospital. They did a chic point. And they have to check everybody. They ask you to look at the camera. There are lots of cameras, okay? They check you for 30 seconds, like half a, half a minute. You have to look at this camera. And if you pass this camera, you are lucky. I consider myself lucky to pass this camera. Me, my children, my wife. They took my nurse, actually. He was standing near to me. They took him. They ordered him to take off all his clothes in the cold. You know, now Gaza is cold weather and midnight. They ordered him to, to take off all his clothes and they wrapped his eyes and they took home inside, take him inside. They were beating him and they, are, they, were, they were beating everybody. They, they, they are beating everybody, they arrested him. We've lost Dr. Mugrabi. Dr. Khan, uh, I hope, is still with us. Uh, Dr. Khan, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go back to Dr. Mugrabi to hear the horror of the Nasser Hospital. But I wanted to pick up with you, Dr. Khan, this subject of hunger. In my monologue, I talked about the child I saw die last evening, uh, vomiting animal feed. Four children have died in the last 24 hours from hunger. 
how is it possible in 2024 with thousands of aid trucks just across the border, how is it possible that mass starvation of a kind which we haven't seen in modern times uh, could possibly be allowed to take place? This could kill in the end even more than the bombs. It, it will kill more than the bombs. And, um, and the Israeli government has said so, that it will kill more than the bombs. Uh, epidemics will kill more than the bombs. Uh, this is all a methodical, diabolical plan uh, based on my experience and based on what I've heard uh, from, from the Israeli government sources themselves. This is, this is what they want to do. And Dr. Mugrabi, who's the, him, uh, he, was the, he was the only plastic surgeon in the Nasser Hospital for all these months. And uh, I mean, him and doctors like him are my real heroes. I mean, he, st- he stayed there till the end when he could have left. And, um, and so, you know, I mean, even now there's, there's hunger, so they're starving him. There's multiple reports, uh, and, and Dr. Mugrabi will, 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 can corroborate on sexual assault. Of, of Palestinian women that have come across the um, the Israeli forces. There's, uh, you know, from doctors on the ground uh, have have said this to me d- directly, and uh, it's 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 horrible. I mean, no aid's getting in. Uh, there's been some talk about dropping dropping aid, uh, you know, from uh, from the air uh, airdrops, and that's not happening either. So it's a massive failure. Uh, of the world and 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 of all agencies that do this because there has to be some way i don't know how in in the 20th 21st century we cannot get something as simple as food to a civilian population that's clearly starving and you can see dr mugrabi from the ground he has personal experience he's seeing his family and friends and associates dying in front of his eyes of hunger um and it is illogical completely i don't know how how my palestinian friends and colleagues feel but to me, it's illogical how we can allow that. Um, to me, it makes no sense, and it's a shame. Dr. Mugrabi, we've got you back now, I, I hope. Uh, you told us of your nurse uh, being taken away, blindfolded, being beaten. Uh, I'm sure that you uh, don't know what happened to him, but you do know what happened to other doctors and other nurses. It seems to me they are intent on the decapitation of the society in Gaza, the killing doctors, eminent people, killing intellectuals, journalists. They're trying to cut the head of the Palestinians in Gaza, aren't they? Yes, 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 yes. That's horrible, yes. That's why I told you, and during the history, during the history, such crimes, actually, I haven't heard such crimes I don't know. They committed all types of crimes, all types. Even you can't imagine, even it doesn't come to my imagination, such crimes that they committed here in Gaza. And unfortunately, we don't have reporters now to cover all what is all, all incidents and all the crimes now in Gaza. They are afraid. Many, many of them actually passed away. Hundreds of journalists, reporters already passed away. Passed away, just passed away. Can, can, can you believe that? I, t- I, I tell you one story of my nephew, my nephew, 18 years old, 17 years old, actually. He was trapped with me at the hospital, at Nasser Hospital. At Nasser Hospital, there, were, there was no any neurosurgeon. 
and he 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 had actually he he was in badly need for a surgery for his brain. Maybe Dr. Yasser knows he has got a brain tumor and he has got a hydrocephalus and he has in badly need for for which called shunt surgery. And I wanted to perform this surgery for my nephew. I'm not a, ne- a neurosurgeon, okay? And I wanted to perform on my nephew this surgery. And I was I was in closely contact with everybody to get my nephew out from Nasser Hospital because Nasser Hospital was in uh, under strict siege since three weeks, and nobody can come and save my nephew. I contacted ICRC, Onura, everybody. I begged everybody just to come and take my nephew to EGH Hospital, where is Dr. Yasser used to work. And nobody can come to Nasser Hospital because they were afraid, because IDF used to target everybody. There is no red lines. They shield ambulances. Everybody who would come, they would, they would kill him. Can you believe that? ICRC, I contacted you know, influential people at the ICRC just to send one ambulance, okay, to take my nephew from the hospital. But they couldn't. They couldn't come to Nasser Hospital because they told me, frankly, they would kill us. They would target us because they already did. There is many incidents. They they killed all, uh, you know, they, they would kill, they would kill, they would kill Andy. They, 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 they actually, they shield many ambulances Many, many of these ambulances, hundreds of medical staff actually passed away. Hundreds of these reporters and journalists passed away. There is no red lines. They kill everybody. And here, actually, I'm, 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 I'm asking, where is the humanity here? Where is the humanity? If we ask that, that Biden, actually, President Biden, please defund this genocide. Defund it. Defund. Don't send these missiles, shields, rockets to Israel. I don't know, you are as a father, as as a grandfather. How would you allow for children actually to die from starvation, from actually these crimes? I'm sure you have grandchildren. Do you do you, do you allow for your grandchildren to drive to die from starvation? I don't know. Really. Are you human being? We are human beings. We are the same. I'm asking President Biden, why, why do you do that? Why? Why? Actually, he, he, he's against ceasefire. Actually, he's, he's supporting, he's frankly supporting this genocide against us. Tell me, uh, Dr. Mugrabi, uh, what's the situation now in Rafah? Yeah, Rafah now, where is I? Actually, now in Rafah, I'm living Frankly, at the tent, I posted on my Instagram, I showed my tent, I showed my children. Actually, uh, we don't have electricity here. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have decent things. We don't have anything here, actually. We use the fire, actually, to cook on the fire, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) Everything here is expensive because we have scarcity of food, scarcity of clean water. Rafah is populated, populated area. It's more than one, one million and a half million, I think. I don't know the exact number. But we can't walk on the street because of the crowded. There is, is you know, it's a crowded area, highly populated area. 
it is here catastrophic situation and and this crazy Netanyahu he's in, he's intending actually to invade Rafah and the world actually is world the whole world is watching is watching I don't know why why the world actually failed us where is the humanity of this world I'm asking where is the humanity where is the humanity Actually, we are dying. We are passing away in front of your eyes. I'm speaking to the leader of this world. Leaders, you are watching us dying. I don't know how many videos do you have to see actually us dying. I, I, I don't know to stop these crimes. How many videos? You have seen everything in front of your eyes. Thousands of children are, you know, passed away in front of your eyes. They attacked hospitals. I think you remember... Baptist Hospital, Al Ahli Hospital. They attacked, evacuated people, and they killed more than 120 evacuated innocent people in front of the, the whole world. They attacked church. They attacked. They attacked mosques. They destroyed hospitals. They did all crimes. All crimes. What do you want more? Actually, I don't know. All these times, actually, they ex executed people. They executed people at checkpoints. They executed people inside hospitals. They killed patients at their beds. Yeah, at Nasser Hospital and at Indonesian Hospital, the IDF invaded the hospital and they killed patients. I don't know these types of crimes. Actually, my, my brain actually can't really imagine. These crimes, they are monsters, criminals. Dr. Khan, uh, Dr. Mugrabi is asking why. Uh, I don't have the answer. Do you? You know, after hearing my friend and um, and my colleague, um, Dr. Mugrabi, I, I'm, I'm really uh, speechless. Um, you know, my faith in humanity shattered a long time ago. Um, all I can hope for is, is that there's billions of us um, that are speaking and that are advocating, uh, and we have to increase our efforts to advocate. We have to get the message out as, as, as to how much they're, they're, they're suffering and, and put an end to this. I really have not much more to say than what Dr. Mugrabi has said so beautifully and so sincerely and honestly. I mean, thank you yeah, very much, sure. Dr. Yasser Khan, Dr. Mugrabi. Uh, with your permission, Dr. Mugrabi will, will check in with you again in subsequent shows. I know that all of our audience will be praying for you and your family and your community, your society, for all of the Palestinian people under this quite unbelievable onslaught in Gaza genocide. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm kind of speechless myself, but I have to continue. The show must go on. Ange says, Dr. Khan and Dr. Mugrabi, my UK government does not do this in my name or in the name of millions of us here, and we are doing all we can to pressure our government to stop this madness. Let me take a quick break. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Scott Ritter has been a tower of strength and wisdom throughout this conflict and indeed many others. He is the preeminent military political expert in the world today. And I'm glad to say that the former Marine Corps intelligence officer and former United Nations weapons inspector joins us now again on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Good evening, Scott. Thank you for joining us. It is the two-year anniversary. Uh, Let's review, if we may, uh, where the conflict now stands. We'll talk about how it could have been averted, should have been averted, but how does the conflict now stand in your expert opinion? The conflict stands on the bodies of almost a million dead soldiers, both Ukrainian and Russians. That's how it stands. It stands on the displaced uh, civilians, uh, Russian and Ukrainian, who have lost their homes, their livelihood. Um, you know, this is the reality of war. I mean, we, I just think we need to say this up front, that uh, war is ugly business. And uh, the, the war isn't just measured in uh, billions of dollars or hundreds of billions of dollars. It's measured in hundreds of thousands of lives lost and millions of lives forever uh, changed, altered by this conflict. Um, but now that we've gone past that, I can put on my military hat, which sadly often requires one to lose an aspect of their humanity um, and, and reflect on the reality that Russia has seized the strategic initiative some while ago, and now they're exploiting this strategic initiative. Uh, Russia has superiority and or supremacy on every aspect of the military spectrum. Uh, They are dominating on the battlefield. They are dominating in terms of military economy. They are dominating in terms of geopolitical support. There's not any facet of this conflict where Ukraine has parity or superiority. Ukraine is losing across the board. And now we come back to where we started. This translates into a significant number of dead Ukrainians. Um, Thousands, tens of thousands have died in the past uh, days and weeks. And sadly, if this war does not come to an end, hundreds of thousands more will die because there is literally nothing Ukraine or the West can do to stop a strategic Russian victory, the strategic Russian victory that's taking place now. And yet, uh, the the fools that uh, proselytized for Ukraine, uh, they hijacked the Twitter part of this poll. Uh, they're unable to muster the numbers to alter the ultimate uh, result. But 75% of my Twitter says uh, Ukraine should not sue for peace. So it's clear that these fools want the war to continue. Uh, should it continue... Uh, what will be the result? Well, I mean, let's uh, try and put it into terms, because clearly these fools, as you kindly call them, um, don't have an ounce of humanity in them. Uh, These are people who think that war is a computer game, some sort of uh, parlor exercise, and uh, they forget the fact that it's flesh and blood and pain, a whole bunch of pain, by the way. Um, It's not Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This isn't an actor pretending to suffer or die. It's a human being whose life is being torn asunder and uh, feeling it ebb out of their body. It's uh, real as it gets. So for all those people that want this war to continue, um, 
fools the kindest word I can imagine. And I applaud you for uh, showing restraint because if this weren't your podcast, I'd be using different language. Um, but let's put it in terms that they can understand. Imagine you're in Las Vegas because we're talking about a gamble here. This is purely a gamble. The Russians are beyond the gamble point. The Russians are at the stage of this conflict where there's absolute certainty about the outcome. And so they will be very um, methodical in their approach. No gambles, no gambits, just a slow, inevitable grinding away of murder. That is war. And even if I think the Russians are on the right side of history, war is murder. That's all it is. It's organized murder carried out by both parties. Want the side that wins knows how to organize murder better than the other side. That's it. So the Russians will be carrying out this murder. But since these people, these fools, as you say, can't think of it in this way, let's think about it. you're in Vegas and you're at the, the table and you're gambling. Uh, you do understand that the reason why you have nice lights all around you, beautiful carpets and lovely women serving you free drinks is because you're not going to win. The odds are against you. The house will prevail in the long term. And you've just put all the money that you had set aside for gambling on the table and it's lost. And you make the bold decision that I'm going to take my mortgage and put it there. I'm going to take my children's college fund. I'm going to take my future and put it on the table in the insane hope that somehow I will beat the odds. You won't. You will lose everything. And for those people saying that Ukraine needs to continue this war, understand this. If Ukraine were to sue for peace today, and it would not be an easy peace, we are not talking April 2022. We're talking today. Um, there would be a heavy price to be paid politically, meaning that there would be a cleaning of the house, so to speak. The Banderists would be eradicated politically. There would have to be constitutional changes to protect the Russians uh, in perpetuity. And there may be some additional territorial uh, losses. For instance, having gambled to take the advice of the British and the Americans to use Odessa and the Black Sea coast as a launching pad to attack Crimea and the Russian Black Sea fleet, uh, Ukraine will pay a price, and the price will be you will never have access to the Black Sea again because Russia, having seen what happens when they allow an enemy access to the Black Sea and the danger that it poses, will ensure that that never happens again. So you will lose the Black Sea no matter when you sue for peace. But the question is, what else do you want to lose? Do you want to lose Mikhailov, Nipopetrovsk, Kharkov? Because this is the price you will pay. And if you continue to fight, you will lose everything. And there's no chance of victory. You are literally the man who's just put his entire family's future on the crap table, praying for a number that will never show up. Because you, the odds aren't just stacked against you. There are no odds. There is no chance of a Ukrainian victory. And here's the saddest part, George. The West knows this. But the West is as addicted to the gamble of Ukraine as anybody. They can't walk away from the table because they have put too much into it. They know that if they walk away, they have to live with the consequences of their actions. And so they are praying for an outcome that will never come. But the price that will be paid is paid in Ukrainian lives, Russian lives, and Ukrainian territory. Because Ukraine will lose a significant amount of its territory in whatever settlement comes up. Uh, Scott, the uh, the German Chancellor committed another uh, 100 million. Uh, 100 billion uh, has uh, been given by the United States. Uh, the uh, European economies have been gravely damaged. 
Germany itself will have given uh, uh, a, a trillion. Uh, it is almost impossible to understand why these uh, European economies in particular, the US perhaps uh, slightly less so, but the European economies have literally destroyed themselves in the course of this uh, campaign. Their politicians have committed economic suicide in their support for Zelensky in this uh, ill-judged uh, escapade. It's pretty hard to grasp how, why, why they're getting away with it uh, by their, from their own public, apart from anything else. It's mind-boggling. I mean, you know, the, the German farmers seem to be the um, segment of German society that uh, has maintained a spine, uh, at least understands that uh, there's something uh, that should be funded rather than Ukraine, and that is, of course, German agriculture. Uh, and so they are speaking out, and maybe they can rally additional German support. But, I mean, this is sort of facetious of me, but I grew up in Germany in the late 1970s, early 1980s, and uh, I was a huge fan of the Porsche 911 SC Turbo Rough Modified. Any car fanatic will know what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, it's German manufactured, high-quality stuff. I couldn't afford it. But thanks to the German government, Porsche is shutting down their production in Germany and moving to the United States. And there's a hope in the future wow. that I might be able to buy a Porsche 911 SC Turbo. It won't be rough modified, but it'll say made in the United States. And that's because the German government has foregone uh, any consideration of the German people. They are deindustrializing as they speak because of this insane desire. To you are listening to, to the mother Ukraine. of all talk Don't the Germans understand with that every euro Galloway. they is a euro wasted. It's a euro that will buy nothing but the death of more Ukrainians. They can't win this war. NATO can't tip the scales. There's nothing that can be done at this juncture. Why they continue to foist death and destruction upon a Ukrainian nation they claim to be supporting. I mean, the reality is for the people of Ukraine, Europe is your worst enemy. America is your worst enemy. Because of Europe and the United States, you have suffered irreversible losses that can't be measured. It's unconscionable what's happening. And yet we call ourselves your friends and we keep sending you to your death. Uh, Scott, I remember you and I talking at the very beginning of all this, the raft of sanctions had just been imposed. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden, by the way, just announced another 500 sanctions on Russia on the principle that throwing good money after bad is just what American presidents do. Uh, we now have Baerbock, bonkers Baerbock, the German foreign minister, the Green Party foreign minister, admitting in public that we all knew the sanctions on Russia weren't going to work, which must come as a shock to all those Germans that have paid with their jobs, paid with their prosperity. So we, 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 we impose sanctions that you're now telling us we knew were not going to work. Try and explain that. Of course, I can't. I mean, this is, this is it's, it's literally a politician trying to reinvent the playing field. Uh, to come up with some sort of coping mechanism uh, to justify what, uh, in this case, she has done to the German people. Um, I mean, we're she's trying to say we're on the right side of history, um, and we're we have to do what's right, whatever the cost. But this is an absurdity in the extreme. I mean, we can debate whether or not 
they're on the right side of history. I'm sure they can articulate uh, some sort of claim that Russia is on the wrong side of history here. I, I'm willing to have that debate. Oxford, if you're listening, bring it on. Um, but you know, they won't because I think they ran away from you as well. But uh, the fact is, um, it, it's one thing to say you're on the right side of history. But when you're an elected official who is duty and responsibility uh, is with your constituents, your citizens, your nation. You must be doing what is good for your nation. What is right must first be answered by what is right for your people, not what is right for a foreign country. Um, she has failed egregiously, but this is a this is again a, a, the same woman who I believe once said, uh, "I don't care what the German people think. We're going to support Ukraine no matter mm-hmm. what." Um, Look, George, you're 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 an old school politician, and I wish you the best of luck on Thursday. There's nobody who deserves to be back Thank in you. the British Parliament more than you. I remember meeting you, you. Um, back when, before the the Iraq War, when we were trying to do the right thing. I remember you taking me to Bath to the Labour Party conference in an effort to confront, um, mm-hmm. you know, a Tony Blair. I remember you introducing me to uh, mm-hmm. Tony Benn. And what a thrill that was to see, you know, this this old classic political warrior. And now you are that old classic political warrior. I apologize for the term old. Um, but you know what it no, means right. to fight for your people. You, you're there fighting for your people. You understand that you cannot be a political leader if you put your people last. Your people must come first. That's what's doing right by them. You do right by them, you know, economically. You do right by them socially. Um, and you do right by them morally. But you can't talk about sacrificing your people on the altar of, again, let's be clear about Germany. They have no original thinking when it comes to Ukraine, uh, at least a modern iteration of it. They are following the orders of the United States, just like Tony Blair was following the orders of the United States back in the day. I think the German people have to wake up, just like the People of Great Britain have to wake up. Better politicians in place. Put George Galloway back in the parliament and get this this foreign minister out of the German politics. It's time that people who believe in their constituents are the ones who are put in a place to do best by their constituents. Thank you kindly, Scott. Final question. Uh, Joe Biden. I mean, I often say this. Uh, Tony Blair was in thrall in the beginning to Bill Clinton, uh, he oddly transferred that to George W. Bush uh, with such aplomb, uh, one wonders how he managed it. But, you know, it's one thing following Jack Kennedy or following Bill Clinton, maybe even following in these early years Barack Obama, but who in their right mind sacrifices their own people on the orders of Joe Biden visibly becoming more and more demented in front of our eyes with every day that passes. Can you, fa- can you figure that? I can't, and I'm a European. I cannot understand how any political leader in Europe could look at Joe Biden and say, he's my leader. I'll follow the old man wherever he wants to go. It's very, very hard. No, it shows again the... Um the moral corruption of European leaders, because as we just said in, in, in previously, their job is to look out for the best interests of their constituents. And it's one thing to say, look, the United States is, you know, 
one of the largest powers in the world today on the side of what we call the democratic world. They are the largest power. They are the leader. Therefore, we will defer to America. We will look to America for leadership. But leadership in in America is the byproduct of the American democratic process. And, you know, every four years we vote for somebody to be our leader. And in this case, we have somebody who's no longer worthy of that title. Yes, he did win, according to some, uh, the majority of the votes in the past election. He is the constitutionally mandated president of the United States. But leadership isn't something that's just given. It has to be earned, and it has to be earned on a daily basis. If I were a platoon commander, I have to go before my Marines every single day and earn their respect, not by saying I'm a captain or I'm a lieutenant and you must follow me, but to say I'm Scott Ritter, I'm a Marine officer, and I adhere to the standards, the values of that. And when you look at me, I need you to be inspired by somebody that you will follow into combat, believing that I have your best interests in mind. But when you take a look at Joe Biden, now he inspires no confidence whatsoever. Therefore, if I were a European leader, I would say to my American counterparts, we want to be with you, but we can't because He's not inspiring confidence. And if you're telling me that the directions are coming from him, I don't believe you. So before we move forward, you have to tell me who's making the decisions in America. Who's the leader? Who's the man behind? I mean, who is the Wizard of Oz? We see this face and talk, but it's fake. There's somebody else behind the scenes moving the levers. And if I'm a European leader, I need to know who they are so can I have confidence in the decisions that are being made right now? If you're telling me it's Joe Biden, there can be no confidence in decisions because we know for a fact it's not Joe Biden. He can't even, I'm sorry, I, I'm not in the business of picking on the elderly. And so I I don't like Joe Biden. I think everybody knows that we have a history and it's not a pleasant one. But the man that's standing before us today isn't Joe Biden. It's somebody who has lost his mind, somebody who deserves our sympathy, somebody who deserves a helping hand to be taken away to a place where he can't hurt himself and he can't hurt other people. He does not deserve to be the president of the United States. Scott, I said friendly, but one more. Uh, This is the second anniversary. Uh, Will we be still talking about this war on the third anniversary? Well, as somebody who made the mistake of saying I thought this war would be over rather quick when it started, only to change my assessment as the facts on the ground changed. I am loath to try and uh, put a calendar uh, to the conclusion of this conflict when the Russians themselves say we're not calendar driven, we're we're, we're driven by results. But I will say this, um, when I was in Russia back in January, I had the privilege, I say, uh, honor and privilege of uh, meeting and talking extensively with Abdi Aladanov. He's a Chechen general who is a commander in the Russian army. He's just been taken off the front lines and sent to the general staff uh, academy where he's receiving further education um, because he's a man with a with a good future in the Russian military. Um, he himself said to me, and now I can talk about it publicly because he gave an interview where he talked about it. He said that the collapse of the Ukrainian army is irreversible and that there will be um, major developments by May, major meaning earth-shattering, groundbreaking developments, the kind that alter a map that hasn't been altered in in, in, in a year. Um, and he said that he can't imagine how the Ukrainians would be able to sustain uh, any viable resistance beyond September of this year. So if Abdi Aludanov, who's a man who is not prone to giving 
you know, um, exaggerated. He's a very realistic uh, thinker who's grounded in the reality of the battlefield. If he's saying this, there's no reason for me to contradict him. Scott Ritter, as always, a wonderful tour de force that will be much uh, watched. Scott Ritter, former Marine officer, former United Nations weapons inspector, giving us the benefit of his wisdom about the course, about the future of the war in Ukraine. Uh, let's uh, get some last calls in. Walter in Blackpool. Well, there's another by-election coming up, by the way, uh, in which we might have a party interest. Walter, go ahead. Thanks very much for having me, George. Yeah, uh, um, I'm sure you're right about Ukraine. And in fact, uh, uh, Scott Ritter, of course, is right that um, this war is now lost by Ukraine. But I don't think NATO will leave mm. it at that because I think there are some mini Ukraines waiting in the wings, and that is in the Baltics. Yeah? Now, there, um, mm. in Estonia and Latvia uh, especially, there are considerable Russian minorities. Now, NATO has engaged in provocation there before, uh, well before even 2014. At one point, even uh, sending German yes, German, <laughs> troops to the Russian border in an act of undiluted Incredible. provocation. Yeah. And um, I think that that is where the next theater of war will be. Well, uh, I hope you're wrong, uh, because those flashpoints are even more uh, uh, incendiary than the Ukraine uh, flashpoint. Um, I don't believe that Russia will go to war with NATO over its national minorities in these Baltic republics. Uh, I believe they would sooner withdraw them into the newly restored Russian territories in the Ukraine. But you could never tell, and a very wise and erudite contribution that was, Walter. Thank you for it. Rashid is in California on Palestine. I told you, it's the Global University of the Airwaves. Go ahead, Rashid. Uh, well, hello, George. My name's actually Robert. Rashid is my uncle. Um, he called. But anyway, oh, okay. I, I beg your pardon. No worries. So I wanted to ask, uh, there's been a notable lack of support for Palestine from Arab governments, which isn't unexpected. But in your opinion, what would it take to change their course? Well, I mean, I'm the biggest critic of our Arab governments. Uh, but actually, they've been moved already to better positions than they've ever been in before. Still not nearly good enough, and not that good at all, but better than they have ever been before. So, for example, uh, the King of Jordan uh, gave, I thought, a sterling performance, uh, standing next to Joe Biden, who was actually trying to hide behind him uh, because it was so excruciating, uh, in the White House at the podium just the other day, uh, the King of Jordan made a statement which was, by his standards, exceedingly strong. Jordan has been airdropping uh, supplies, not enough of them, not often enough, but they have been doing it uh, into uh, Gaza. Uh, the Queen of Jordan, Queen Rania, aforementioned, uh, whom I know, uh, has made powerful uh, statements. Now, Jordan is a weak country uh, and is uh, in a most unfortunate position, uh, squeezed uh, between many uh, different um, flashpoints, 
now and potential future flashpoints bordering uh, Iraq, bordering Syria, bordering Israel-Palestine, so, uh, and, and uh, being economically weak, being uh, without oil, without gas, and more dependent on American power in the past uh, than, uh, than it ought to be or should be. Uh, Jordan uh, is doing better than it did before. Saudi Arabia is doing better than it did before. It has made plain to the U.S. that there is no question of normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, until there is a fully functioning Palestinian state up and running. That marks a considerable advance uh, on their position. Uh, the uh, government of General Sisi, military dictatorship in Egypt, uh, is in the weakest uh, position of all. First of all, if there was an attempt at a final solution, uh, then, then uh, two, two, two million plus Palestinians would end up uh, in the Sinai Desert in Egypt. If they were displaced in Toto, uh, the Palestinian resistance would be among them. And thus the theater of conflict would simply have moved from the Gaza Strip to the Sinai Desert. The resistance would continue from there. Egypt would have more than two million new mouths to feed, uh, would have to be uh, seeking investment to build houses and, uh, and the rest of the necessities of civilian life, uh, while their own people were not having houses and necessities of civilian life because the vast majority of Egyptian people are exceedingly poor and poorly provided for. I don't believe that General Sisi's regime could, uh, could survive that outcome if that were to come to pass. Uh, other countries farther from the front line are, of course, very much more uh, committed to Palestinian liberation. Uh, Iraq uh, being amongst them, Yemen being foremost amongst them. Uh, Iran, not an Arab country, but a country vitally committed to Palestinian rights. Syria, Lebanon, the Lebanese resistance, and so on, uh, are, are all stronger and more committed uh, than they have ever been. So uh, I do think we need to keep that in a proper perspective. John says, regarding the poll, I, oh, I've missed that. Uh, I missed something. Why must Ukraine sue for peace? They were offered a peace deal, not last year, the year before, but the Americans and Ukraine shot it down. Uh, but the outcome of the poll is overwhelmingly, people say, yes, Ukraine should sue for peace now. Although I don't expect them to. I don't expect the NATO governments to allow them to. Well, I think it's been a quite extraordinary show. Uh, the testimony from Scott Ritter and from Dr. Mugrabi and Dr. Khan uh, from Gaza and Scott Ritter with his peerless uh, grasp of military political affairs made it a show worth watching. If you agree, then make sure your friends and family see it too. Let's get these numbers up high above 2 million viewers per week. I will be here on Wednesday, although it is the eve 
of poll in the Rochdale by-election. Uh, unless something happens, I might have to get the aforementioned James Giles to stand in, but I expect to be here on Wednesday at seven o'clock for the midweek mother of all talk shows. And then to talk to you next Sunday, hopefully as the Member of Parliament for Rochdale. Good night. Thank you.